Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roots, the podcast hosted by me, Alex Seeley. I will not waste uh, too much of your time here. Just wanted to say that today's episode is going to be a little different than what you've heard before. Uh, Also know that I appreciate you and I sincerely hope that you enjoy the show. That's all. Enjoy the show. What up, everybody? Welcome to... Welcome everybody to a new episode of Roots. I have in my guest room two of the best dudes, man. I have Emerson and Austin. How are you guys? Yo, yo. Doing great. And today we are answering the question, what even is Calvinism? And two of the people in this room are Calvinists. And one of them is almost Calvinist. <laughs> and I'll let that reveal itself as we go forward. But it's just going to be a super good conversation. Thanks for tuning in. And this is the first time we've done this. This is the first time we've actually ever recorded in a room together. Literally, if you guys were here, you'd see um, on two walls are two, like, $50 acoustic blankets that I (laughs) used command strips to put up. And then one, like, comforter, like an old, green, weird... Um, comforter that my mom gave me, uh, and I Thanks, hope mom. that the sound. Sa- <laughs> I hope that the sound reflects the hard work I put into this guest room, and uh, so I wish you guys were here, but you're not. But we're just gonna have a conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. Emerson, please take it away. Sure. Yeah. So we're gonna just jump straight into it. Talk a little bit about Calvinism, but before we do, uh, I'm just gonna just talk a little bit about my background, kind of uh, how I grew up. So um, initially, uh, I'll just. I'll just lay it out there. I'm a Calvinist. <laughs> so, guys, one out of my name's all right, and I'm a Calvinist. <laughs> yep, yep. We so, know it's not Emerson. Yourself. We know it's not Emerson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, quote-unquote Christian home, where we went to church kind of on and off. And then uh, we went to a couple of different types of churches, non-denominational, some Baptist, um, a little bit like we explored Pentecostal for a little bit. Um, and then it the, the topic of Calvinism didn't really come up a lot in my circles, um, and for good reason. Growing up as a kid, I don't know how much of Calvinism would be important. <laughs> Bro, some understood. people, dude, my, my sister-in-law, bless her heart, she is listening to this podcast, hopefully. <laughs> okay. She is the, she is the wonderful uh, mother of um, my nephew, Isaiah. And she has this image uh, in parenting that she's going to be teaching him the catechisms, like going all for nice. it. Totally for that. Yeah, I'm also, yeah. guys, also, my name's Alex Seeley. I'm a Calvinist. <laughs> no, you just sorry, out of me, bro. Oh, <laughs> Austin, we didn't I'm even sorry. get five minutes in, I know, and now I, I know, know it's me. But it was clearly, dude, I was talking so lovingly yeah, about my sister-in-law that's teaching Calvinism to her right, child. Right. Anyway, sorry, Emerson, please continue. Yep, yep. So that's great, first of all. Um, and then, anyway, so without just sharing my whole testimony, it wasn't until college where I was really— you know, in, in college, your ideas can be challenged, especially mm-hmm. your faith. Once you get there, like, am I going to keep going to college? Am I going to stay subscribed to this whole Christian thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was through that process that really the Lord humbled me under his hand. And, and like in the words of Hosea, I took the bowels from my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was my own pride over my control at, over salvation. Mm-hmm. And so um, that I'm in charge of this whole thing. I'm, I Really, it was I saved myself. It wasn't a grace-based, faith-based gospel. And so uh, through this process of being exposed to Calvinism, specifically a Bible study in Romans 9 with the Navigators, got to give them a shout out. <laughs> I don't know if you can include that in your podcast. I definitely can. Okay. I have no money coming in, so I have no okay. problem. With Sponsored Sponsored by. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> Dude, now I have to cut that out. <laughs> anyway, so it was through this, this uh, Bible study in Romans 9 um, 
Well, it was, it was the whole book of Romans, and we got to Romans nine, where it was it was just in my face yeah. this mm-hmm. ideal, this idea of predestination, and I remember I read that and I hated God, and I I, I truly wow. I was like this God I don't worship this God I hate this God, and um, I remember just being on in tears on the floor of my dorm room like okay God there was this ultimatum it's like okay God either I'm the God of my life or you're the God of my life and wow. I want you to be the God of my life. I'm not in control. I want, I'm all yours. And so it, that was a big turning point in my salvation. I think that's really when the Lord took hold of my heart and humbled me under his hand. So mm-hmm. I, Calvinism, these ideas um, have a very deep root in my heart and in my soul, and I'm very intimately attached to them um, because it plays a huge role in my testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord used it to draw me close to him, so praise God. Yeah. Um, but before we, we really go into like the, the tenets of Calvinism, um, there's a couple of things I want to just lay out there. Um, first of all, Christ died for the unity of the body. So mm. everything that we say, I hope it doesn't bring any division yeah. between us as brothers or mm. if you're listening that you don't feel a hatred towards a, another brother or sister in Christ because of what uh, they believe or these mm-hmm. uh, some of the, some people would describe these as secondary beliefs, but like don't don't hate other members of the body. That's one of the things Christ died for is the unity of yeah. the body. So, and don't also yeah. hear this as like a sales pitch. To like you have to be Calvinist because yeah. look how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point is to get you um, into the word and to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. seeking the Lord and um, just go to the Bible. You know, let the Bible speak for itself. I know you're going to talk about that in a bit, Emerson. But um, yeah, definitely don't. Um, I think, I think it, that's a really good thing to point out before we even get into it, Emerson, because I know a lot of people have a specific connotation about Calvinists, about that word Calvinist, because to be frank, I went to school at Liberty University, super like big evangelical university. Mm -hmm. And there were a bunch of reformed Calvinist people there Mm -hmm. and they earned a reputation for being arrogant and being kind of like, oh, so you don't like (laughs) read the Bible because you're not Calvinist? (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. And just having that attitude and Matt Chandler has such a good quote. Maybe I'll clip it in. Um, but he he's talking about truth, and he's like, truth should always be used as a scalpel, never a club. All right. And then I have met way too many uh, in, in my life, very young men who can't generously and graciously understand the doctrines of grace in such a way and explain them in such a way that they are winsome and beautiful. There are certain guys that go through a type of theological puberty where I wish we could just put you in a cage and then let you out a few years later. All right? Truth should be handled like a scalpel, never a club. Never a club. You wield these truths like a club. You don't understand these truths. You tracking with me? Like how in the world you could talk about foreknowledge and predestination in a way that is arrogant, condescending, and belittling will forever baffle me. You simply reveal you don't understand this thing at all. That's um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this isn't a sales pitch. Let's unify the body, but let's also know what is this Calvinism thing? I bet you've heard it before. So Emerson, back to you. Dude, amen, bro. Amen. I totally agree. So um, yeah, I mean, that's another thing to put out there before we really jump into tulip and what is Calvinism uh, is, yeah, scripture 
Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So uh, be good Bereans in Acts 17 and, and search these ideas for yourself. Uh, look at the Scripture that we're talking about. Look at these ideas we're talking about, about and make sure they're backed by God's holy word. Yeah. Because this is the final authority. Emerson is not the final authority. Yeah. Alex and Austin are not the final authority. God's word and God is the final authority. So mm-hmm. that's what we lean on. That's what we hope for and put our trust in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, without further ado, do you guys want to learn about Calvinism? Yes. <laughs> All right, great. Bro, that's why I set these up. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, I'll talk a little bit about the history. First of all, like, where's where's Calvinism come from? Uh, we'll do a brief summary of the history, and then we'll dive into Tulip. Uh, so Calvinism is this theology that was advanced by John Calvin. Big surprise there. Uh, he is a 16th century reformer who uh, built upon the foundation that was set by Luther before him. So if you know a little bit of your church history, Luther was kind of the beginning of the evangelical movement, right? So he really established that we are saved by faith. We're justified by faith. And he pushed back against the Catholic Church, against the salvation by works. And so after Luther came Calvin and and another group of theologians, and Calvin really built upon this justification by faith. And from that, uh, he created these other tenets, these other ideals from Scripture, uh, which can then be summarized in the acronym TULIP. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's jump into tulip. Uh, it's very easy to remember because it's also a flower. It's every Calvinist's favorite flower. So uh, very easy to remember. Always get them tulips on Valentine's Day <laughs> uh, if you want to keep them happy. I'm sorry, Emerson. I'm, I missed it. I That's forgot okay, to get bro. you tulips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but first, okay, so T, total depravity. Um, that is exactly how it sounds. <laughs> it's that mankind uh, can do no good apart from God. Is mm-hmm. that... Uh, we really need God to sovereignly intervene in our lives to create us into something new, to change us into something that now pleases him, right? Scripture says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before him. And if you really look into it, they're not just dirty rags. They're really dirty rags. So definitely look into that on your own time. And also importantly, um, dirty rags. Yeah. <laughs> Super dirty. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing to clarify about total depravity, mm-hmm. I've heard some people misunderstand total depravity in mm-hmm. that, humans can only do bad things and Mm. everything we do is bad. Um, Even like specifically unbelievers would be like, oh, so like if you're not a Christian, you can't do any good. I think two things. First of all, there is common grace that God has provided to everyone on earth Mm. to like, thank God we're not like without God because we have um, morality. Like we have morality inside of us that knows to stick up for orphans and widows. Like that's something that most people in our society have regardless of whether or not they're saved. That mm-hmm. is the grace of God. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And total depravity is we can't do any good apart from God. So there's that. And then second, we also are measuring our holiness by our own standard. Mm-hmm. So there's a quote, I forget who said it, but there's a quote that I love that says, I have more spiritual DNA in common with Hitler than Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Hitler, I'm like, oh, I can never, ugh. But when I look at Austin and Emerson and people around me, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, like, really good people. But what you need to understand is that compared to God's holiness, compared to the level of righteousness that he has, he looks at us, and to be completely honest, without Jesus, me and Hitler are on the same plane. We are equally guilty because of how pure and perfect God is. So Mm -hmm. um, be careful not to be like, well, I'm actually, like, a good person. Total depravity is not real you're probably measuring yourself on yourself. Anyway, yeah, just that Yeah, and to hold to this as a Calvinist is to proclaim that I am 
I'm helpless. I'm hopeless yeah. without God, and I need Him. I have to hold fast to Him, right? Mm-hmm. To 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 seek righteousness, to be uh, something that He's called me into. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, and there's actually a couple of analogies based off of what you just said that I've found particularly helpful, um, comparing our own our own goodness against God's, right? Like imagine you go to a car dealership and you scratch a really broken down car, right? And it's like you'd have to pay a certain amount for that car. Uh, it's like if you if I scratched you, Austin, it'd be like, oh, I have to pay for that, right? Mm-hmm. Now imagine you scratch a Ferrari and mm-hmm. it's like you're going to have to pay a lot more a lot for more. that car, right? And so it's like we sinned against that, that thing, right, mm-hmm. by scratching it. Now imagine an infinitely valuable car that you just scratched. There's now an infinite payment required. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though you just scratched it, it has infinite value, just like God has infinite holiness and infinite goodness and righteousness that we've now sinned against. So that's a helpful one. That yeah. is really good. Um, and then I think another one is this the pool analogy, which is really fun. I don't know if you've heard this, where um, like you would jump into a pool, right? A normal pool that's clean. But let's say, what if I say it was just 1% dirty and somebody like had diarrhea <laughs> in, the, in the pool and you're like, oh. I don't want to swim in that pool, right? Maybe you would. <laughs> but now, anyway, so that's kind of the analogy is like even 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 our little 1% mm-hmm. is enough to turn, turn God away. Even our little smallest sin, and that's because of God's holiness, yeah. right? Mm. And how infinitely good that God is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about total depravity. Can um, I add one thing? Please. Just I think a verse that comes to mind is, I think it's in Romans, but it's like without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when we redefine morality as pleasing God, pleasing to God, rather than um, what I think is good or bad or just, um, then I think that that makes perfect sense of like how we, without faith, we cannot do anything that's that's good. Um, it's Hebrews eleven, by the Hebrews way. Hebrews eleven, okay, uh, and it's eleven six, um, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards mm-hmm. those who sincerely seek Him. Exactly. So you could even, and you see B- Old Testament biblical examples where Scripture refers to people who don't know God as just or mm-hmm. kind or positive good qualities that we would say like oh that they're they're a pretty good person yeah um but at the same time we do if we aren't doing things from faith then it's it's tainted it's yeah. a tainted motive without that motive of i tr- lord i'm doing this cuz i trust you at least within our character i think like then even if we're doing a good thing even if i am giving to the poor, I'm doing it probably to make myself feel good or yeah. probably for some other sinful reason. Yeah. Um, so total depravity is also like just every single instinct that you have and the motivations for outward good works that you do are yeah. probably just self-serving, right. which is sinful. If I'm if I'm understanding it right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point and I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. And kind of a, a really important scripture passage. I'm glad that you brought that up. That's actually really important. A really important scripture passage also to hinge on for total depravity and for you to study at home is Romans chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul referring to uh, our relationship with the law, of course. He's kind of building an argument. And he now is going to look towards both Jews and Gentiles. I'll, I'll just start reading it. Uh, that way I don't 
keep blabbering on. Uh, verse 9 will say, what then? Are we any better off? Referring to the, the Jews. He says, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Mm. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, none who understands, none who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Kind of tying that point to what you just talked about. No fear of God in mm. their eyes. No love of God. No, not even seeking him. In fact, it's, it's blatant and abhorrent resistance to God mm-hmm. and who he is. So Romans And we 3. have that since we were born because I was reading yesterday, literally Psalm 51, David mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. to the Lord, praying to the Lord after he sins with Bathsheba, um, saying, in sin, my mother conceived me. Mm-hmm. Like from like the womb, like sin has been entangled in me. So mm-hmm. from literally when we were conceived till the day we die, according to Romans 3 and Psalm 51, we are against God. If there's a team against God, we're on it. If there's a team <laughs> for God, we're not on it. Mm. I hope that Jesus does something. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> man, he does. Uh, but before we move on, uh, yeah. there's other scripture that you can study at home uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, Ephesians 2 as well. You mentioned Psalm 51. That's a yeah. great passage as well, uh, as well as Romans 8. So uh, for those of you listening, feel free to check out those verses. Yeah. Uh, so next point, unconditional election. This is the U. So we just did T. Now we're on to U. Um, this, Which is where you might miss a lot of the people listening that mm. might not be Calvinists right now. Um, because I think a lot of people will agree that we're really sinful. And mm. not a lot of people will believe that we are unconditionally elected. What does that mean? Yes. So basically, if you if you hold to total depravity that we are born into sin, we're, we're inherently sinful at birth— uh, then there has to be some sort of supernatural thing to happen to change that, right? And this is that God goes in and changes your heart and softens it, and then he draws you to him, right? Uh, this is the idea that you could have done nothing to deserve that, right? Because of our nature, because there is none righteous, no, not one, God in his grace reaches down and elects to save you, to change your heart, to love him, and then to draw you close to him, to adopt you as a son. And this language is so clear in scripture when we are called from death into life, when we are called uh, to be adopted as sons, it is a sovereign act of God to change our state of death or wickedness or sinfulness now to be sons and daughters of God. And so this is kind of the idea of unconditional election that we have been Uh, elected to be sons and daughters of of the Most High God, not because of anything that we could have done, uh, but because of God's gracious nature. Um, So with this, uh, there's a couple of verses kind of to look into. I think especially Romans 9 comes to mind. Mm. Um, This idea that he he mentions he chose uh, Jacob, he loved Jacob and hated Esau. Mm. Uh, Since before the foundation of the world, he has chosen to love some and to hate others. Uh, Before even Jacob and Esau had done even any wrong, God chose one to love and chose one to hate. Um, This is, then he refers later on to the same lump of clay, right? Uh, The the messaging is so incredibly clear. I will turn especially to one of the, the hinge verses in that chapter, verse 16. He says, so then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Um, That is so incredibly deep. And that was kind of the hardest thing for me to accept Mm. in college was Mm -hmm. you're telling me it doesn't depend on me. It's all about God. 
And that was just brutal to hear, mm -hmm. right? It's like, so you're telling me I don't have to, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not the one pushing this forward. I'm not the one doing this. Um, and that's a workspace gospel. And I hope that if you're hearing this today and you, and you feel the weight of your own salvation, um, that you would feel a great release from this passage, that this isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on a faithful and gracious God. Yeah who calls you out of darkness into light, Yeah, right? I wanna to say to you that every Christian believes in predestination mm -hmm. if they hold to um, what the Bible says. And that's because it's used in Ephesians 1 specifically. Um, Ephesians 1, four through five, uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So where the dis discrepancy comes between Calvinists, and we haven't used this word yet, but we'll go into it a little bit later, Arminianists, mm. or if you're Arminian, uh, which means that you believe you rely more on free will than God's um, sovereign will. Mm -hmm. um, de depending on who you are, you still believe in predestination. Um, you either believe that God predestines according to just what he wants to do, which is the Calvinist holding, or you believe that God predestines according to, he kind of does this time travel where he looks forward into the future and he sees what you might do, what will you do, how might you um, respond to him, and then he predestines you from before you were born. And so that's an important thing. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, you have to believe in predestination, at least that it exists. The real question is, how does he mm -hmm. choose who to predestine? Because this verse says that he does. Mm -hmm. That's where the discrepancy lies. I think a lot of people, when they hear predestination, they say, oh, that's Calvinist. Oh, that's Reformed. But everyone does. Mm -hmm. It just, we have a difference of opinion on how God chooses. Mm -hmm. Bro, you totally stole my thunder. I was about to flip to I Ephesians 1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. No, it's okay. It's okay. That's good. But then, um, yeah, I think people can also be tripped up of like, oh, it's unconditional. Maybe this is a later uh, letter. I don't remember, but um, of like, I don't have a choice in a in a sense of like, I'm. It's like if he chooses me, then I will become that. Then I mm. will be saved, like dragged into salvation almost. Mm. Uh, almost, yeah. And like that just kind of strikes me in the past, like a little weird. Ooh. But then um, John six verse uh, thirty seven is super cool. It says all that the Father, this is Jesus talking after he says, I am the bread of life. And after he's split like the, the loaves and the fish, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So at, at the end, it kind of, it, it uh, that's like a little foreshadowing to a later letter, I think that we're going to hit. I think that's the P. Oh, yeah. But then this is saying, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Everyone that God has chosen for me to be a part of my bride will come to me. It's, it's not just might. a fact. It's, it's like not, they will. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, totally agree. I'm really glad you brought that up. And that, that is a later letter. We'll go into John 6. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a beautiful process that the Lord doesn't just drag us kicking and screaming. Yeah. But, you know, based on what we already talked about, that Humanity. Keep we, talking, we by the way. I'm going to move your mic. Oh, okay. Oh, it doesn't need to be closer. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that we need to be, uh, or sorry, that we cannot choose God. We wouldn't have chosen him. 
um, it's gracious that he comes in and changes our hearts. Mm. And it's not kicking and screaming. Rather, right. it's, um, it's that the Holy Spirit comes in and changes us to love him. Mm-hmm. And and we actually then willingly walk towards him with the with the work of the Holy Spirit in our in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's kind of unconditional election. It's pretty deep. Uh, there are some questions that come up with unconditional election. Well, then, what's the point of praying? What's the point of what's the point of evangelism? Right? If God's already chosen, and we'll go into kind of those questions later on. Uh, just kind of questions that I've been asked as a Calvinist, and the answers that I would give biblically. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to study this, uh, there's a couple of other passages to look into. There's uh, Romans eight twenty eight through thirty nine, kind of that golden chain of salvation. Those who he called, he justified and you glorified. Anyway, uh, there's Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, as well as 2 Timothy 1, uh, mm-hmm. verses 9 and 10 that you can look into. All right, so we just did T and U. Now we're on to L, limited atonement. So this is where it gets kind of spicy um, in the words <laughs> of my spicy? coworker, Georgia. <laughs> Shout out to Georgia spicy? if you're listening. <laughs> um, so limited atonement. This is probably the most controversial point in Calvinism. Um, and I find that even Calvinists have some disagreements yeah. within this point. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I'm a five-point Calvinist. I'd hold to T-U-L-I-P. Um, but there are some Calvinists that say I don't hold to all five points of Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, let's describe it in general first. So this is the idea that Christ's atonement is limited to those he has chosen to have mercy on. This makes sense. He's elected some, so he died for them. Now, whether you're referring to the sufficiency or the application of the atonement is kind of where I I find this discrepancy among Calvinists. Um, Passages like 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, and 1 John 2, 2 lead me to believe that the atonement is sufficient for all and that Christ did die for the sins of the world. So in 1 John, it does say not our sins only, but for the sins of the world. I do believe it's sufficient for all, but applicable only to the elect. So that's kind of where I bring the two truths together, hopefully, of Scripture and try mm-hmm. to make sense of both of them rather than just taking one and rejecting the other. Um, there are some arguments around this, not our sins only, but the sins of the world, that the sins of the world is referring to a, uh, a types of people, all types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not convinced by that argument. I do think that in the context, he's talking to a church and saying, uh, not our sins only, being being that group of believers, but also the sins of the entire world, which is the wording. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I land. So I would say Christ's death is sufficient for all, but applicable only to the elect. It is limited in that sense. Um, the other theologians or Calvinists that hold to this position would be John Piper, um, I believe R.C. Sproul as well, if you go and look on his website. Great guys, uh, solid teachers. Um, but there are Calvinists that say, no, it is only sufficient for the elect and only applicable to the elect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a logical argument. Like, I, logically, that makes sense. Why would you pay more for sin that that has that you're paying for, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense to pay more. But rather, if you think about it as like, this payment has been made and you're in debt, right? And now there's this infinite payment in the bank and you can take from that payment. It's like, basically, that payment is infinite. I'm speaking to the sufficiency of Christ and saying, Guys, do you do you grasp that Jesus was the one who died? He was mm-hmm. the payment. That's infinite, God, because because God is an infinite in value. Anyway, I, I think um, that that is a that's a really good way to describe it. I think I, I think of a Paul Washer sermon, one of his more fiery, not fiery that he's yelling, but he like he's kind of breaking down, crying, and kind of looking like a crazy man when he's in the sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's talking about the value of Jesus, and he talks about how an atheist one time asked him, "How could just one dude dying?" you know, suffering for only a few hours covered for the sins of, 
not only me, but countless, new, like numberless men, like in his time and then 2,000 years later, like now, like how could he have paid for that? And he starts getting really emotional and really, honestly, he looks kind of crazy. He looks crazy because he's like crying about this. And he's talking about how Jesus being so infinitely worthy that just suffering for a few hours and dying a horrific death, but still only one death, it being Jesus changes it because, I mean, the way I, I make sense of it is all things were, all things were made um, by him for him. Mm-hmm. So it's Colossians, like if it. Van Gogh yeah. paint, paints all these beautiful paintings, all of his beautiful paintings are worth a lot, but he is worth more than all of them because he had made them. So if mm. Jesus, through Jesus, everything was made for him and he dies by the hands of his creation, that covers all of it. Every single rock, every single person, every single planet and star system. Like that's basically what Paul Washer was saying. Mm. And I think that that is a point of Calvinism that even Arminius would hold to, saying that mm. there are, well, obviously it depends, but <laughs> there are some people that will go to hell. That means that they weren't paid for, like because yeah. they're paying for something. But I think where people might bring up a cause against limited atonement is what you were saying: is like, why waste money? Like, why waste the value of Jesus on the cross? But also, like, I think even like a counter to that is why devalue Christ. It almost feels devaluing to say, oh, his death only covers some. Like, it's limited. Mm-hmm. Like, our instinct as a Christian is to say he's like infinitely worth everything yeah so his death covers everything anyway just a couple thoughts yeah like the builder of the house is that much greater than the house itself i don't know i can't remember where that is that's in the new testament somewhere (laughs) uh i promise um (laughs) but uh um yeah and then another the okay so for me i didn't understand that kind of What's the word? Like the discrepancy even within the Calvinist camp Mm -hmm. around that topic. I totally used to think that it meant, no, Jesus only paid for the sins of of the elect. Mm -hmm. Um, As in, it was only sufficient for those those who would end up receiving the payment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the the idea of like, why would God waste uh, paying for something that he's not even going to get? I feel like that, I don't think that line to me, I don't feel like that lines up with God's character hmm. of of like him paying above and beyond for something. I think um I look look at Romans five twenty. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And then uh, or I think the Greek word is is can be translated grace superabounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supposed to say he's it's over the top, way more than than was needed. Like it's way enough to cover our sin, and I felt that's the that's the character of the gospel to me. Mm-hmm. Is that he? It's it's not so much that God is is paying what what we are worth in in giving His Son. He's sh- he's showing how much he is worth mm-hmm. by giving his son, yeah, and just showing the immeasurable greatness of his love that he would make us lovable by paying way more than we are actually worth in his son. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty over the top, God. We got. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> awesome. 
Um, so some more scripture to study uh, if you want to look into limited atonement would be John 6, 37 through 39, uh, John 17, 6 through 12, Romans 5, 8 through 10, uh, 1 John 4, 9, and Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Uh, all just great scriptures to look into it. Uh, feel free to check that in, maybe pause the podcast and go look at them. <laughs> Do the uh, back 15-second yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is always a win for Roots. Such a if win. you pause the Roots to go read the Bible. Yes, <laughs> that is, please that is do that. That is exactly true. Actually. <laughs> That's great. Turn us yep. off. Pick up the Bible. Why are you listening to us? Yeah, right what are you now? doing? Come here. on, bro. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just keep saying, what are you doing here? <laughs> you what if this podcast just evolves in us yelling at the hey, listener, just like, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Read your Bible. <laughs> yeah. Stop listening. Hey, y'all. Hope you are enjoying the content. Quick thing, uh, I am still hoping to give $100 away to a Roots listener. That is right. I am not completely broke, at least yet. Uh, All you have to do is leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Snag a screenshot of that review. DM it to me here on Instagram at roots.pod. Again, that's roots.pod. Uh, Once I receive 100 submissions, I will raffle off $100 to one lucky reviewer. Okay, that's all. Please do it. Get some cash. Help the show. All the good stuff. Back to the show. Thanks. So, okay. So, limited atonement. Uh, We've kind of went over the hill of limited atonement, which is kind of the toughest one, honestly. Um, And there are many four-point Calvinists that just don't hold to limited atonement. Um, It's totally okay. Uh, you know what, I, you know, you. Emerson says it's okay, guys. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, yeah, I get back to that unity thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> we love you. Um, if you're, even if you're an Arminian who holds to, we're saved by grace alone, through faith, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, like, then I will fully come alongside you and yeah, support man. you as a brother in Christ and sister, your girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next point, we did T-U-L, now we're on to I. This is irresistible grace. Um, so we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier of, so you're telling me God had to drag me kicking and screaming. Well, that's actually not, not totally true. That's this irresistible grace is a work of the Holy Spirit for God to now come into your heart and reveal himself to you in, in such a way that it, that it draws you, that it's grace really that works, right? And then when you put it that way, that God, his plans can't be thwarted. If he extends his grace to you, if he extends his love to you, gosh dang it, you're going to receive it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, like it's grace that works, right? It's a God that sets out to save you and he's going to save you, right? And I I take so much pleasure in that. And I'm, you know, it's my experience. I wasn't dragged kicking and screaming. It was a beautiful, humbling experience of the the Holy Spirit transforming my heart and drawing me. Mm-hmm. to him. This is the irresistible grace that has happened. Mm-hmm. And really from a, a philosophical point of view, right? Like if God truly reveals himself to you as, as the savior, as, as this infinite worthy God who has, who loves you, how could I reject him? Mm-hmm. Right? Even think about every desire of my heart, right? Whether it's, it's money or it's pride or whatever it is, it's, it's satisfied in the person of God. And John Piper really like leans on this with his whole Christian hedonist theology, but like my boy. The, the the person of God satisfies every desire of my heart, 
Mm-hmm. Right? This desire for pride. Well, guess what? I have the God of the universe behind me who says he loves me and I'm his son, mm-hmm. right? Or, or or maybe it's money. Well, I have a God of the universe who says that he will, like, he is my heavenly father and my father gives good gifts. But how much more will the heavenly father bestow mm-hmm. his gifts upon his children that he loves? It's like all of these desires are satisfied in the person of Christ. That is the gift from God to us. Yeah. Um, and when yeah. you and when you think about what humans were made for, mm. from a biblical point of view, which is what we hold and what we're teaching on, <laughs> which is true, <laughs> we were made for God. Mm-hmm. We were made and designed, and God like very particularly um, geared us for Him. Mm-hmm. And sin has come in and distorted that, and has sent us on the path to hell, to eternal separation from Him. So on the ir- irresistible grace point, if you're pushing back on that and be like, no, like I still want the power to resist, um, it's kind of like, I don't know, exactly like what you're saying, Emerson, like why would you want to? If you were built for this, if you were made for this, like if it's who you are deep, deep down, let's get really modern with it. If it's who you are inside, mm. designed for God, how could you how could you resist it? You know, because you were literally God put a compass in your heart for him mm-hmm. and to chase him and to just be gravitated to him. Uh, and sin has made our hearts magnets or so compasses all off. But what the Holy Spirit does, he comes in, he removes those magnets, so our compass points straight at the Lord and straight at God. And that's why it's irresistible, not because he's like exactly like you said, dragging, but because we're built for it. And all the Holy Spirit does is remove that veil and transform us back into who we were made to be, really, which is like, why would I want to be anything else? Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Some scripture to study for this um, would be John 10, 3 through 4, John 11, 38 through 46, Galatians 1, 15, as well as Revelation 22, 17. So look at those verses. Um, again, affirm this for yourself. Uh, seek the Lord in all of yeah. this that we're talking about. All right. So last point, mm. P. Uh, T-U-L-I-P, we've made it all the way to the end. This honestly is probably, to me, the most comforting point of Calvinism. This is the uh, preservation or perseverance of the saints. Mm -hmm. So what God has started in you, he's going to bring to completion. What the Lord has sovereignly begun in your heart now to love him and to strive after him, there is no scheme of man or scheme of the enemy that is going to come in the way of you and Jesus Christ on the day of your death when you see him face to face. And that is the most comforting promise to every believer that uh, once you have truly accepted him and received his blood as payment for your sin, you cannot now be uncleaned Mm -hmm. of that blood. His blood was so powerful that you can't now re-dirty yourself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, your heart has been changed. Your relationship with with sin, as we see in Scripture, is now such that you say, it is no longer I that sins, but the sin that dwells in me. Mm-hmm. And that is the pattern that we see with Paul, that he is now so, as a believer, detached from his sin that it is no longer him, but it is his own flesh that he's still wrestling with sin, of course, as we all do. But that is not my identity. I am a son of God, and I stand firm on what Jesus Christ has done for me. The most beautiful promise, I think, that is just Mm -hmm. amazing. Some people uh, really like to pick at this and call it the frozen chosen, (laughs) if you will. Um, But That's the the chosen's Christmas special. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Dallas Jenkins? (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's this once saved, always saved. And um, I think uh, 
some people in the other camp might might really pick at this and say, well, no, every day I wake up, I'm gonna, I'm choosing God. And from a subjective sense, yes. Um, but objectively, it's the Lord's faithfulness that is keeping you close. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's drawing you near. He's the one pulling you every single day to pray and to get into your word and to reconnect with him and to enjoy him. It's God that's doing the work and it's God that gets all the glory. That's kind of how it's set up. So with that, let me let me pose a question that might be um, ruminating in the minds of listeners. Yeah. I know a couple people that I went to Bible camp with. Mm. They were in the front row. They were they were writing stuff on the sticky notes, mm. putting it on the cross, crucifying mm-hmm. their sin. Like we prayed together, we talked together. They said they were saved and now they're lost, you mm-hmm. know? And mm. maybe even someone who had a family member that was a Christian and they died being an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for this? Does this mean that um, they made the choice to lose their salvation? Does that mean God's perseverance, that that promised that he will keep you till the day of Jesus is faulty? What's that about? Yeah, yeah. So Hebrews 6, I think, comes up. I think it's Hebrews 6. I literally just pulled it up. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> where it says, like, if they fall away, their heart is a field of thorns and they should be cast out, right? Um, and then the other other verses that I would mention would be the that though they were with us, they were not of us. Mm-hmm. I do believe firmly that there are those that, are in our churches that are not saved, um, that in the last days, Jesus will say, be gone from me for I never knew you. There will be those of us subjectively from our perspective that we see and perceive as saved. But in the last day, Jesus will say, be gone from me. That's a truth that Jesus said that will happen. And so I, I you know, we don't know who all is, is frozen chosen, if you will. Um, but objectively, we know that God, that those whom God has truly chosen and changed their hearts, they will be his in the last day. So uh, to answer your question, it's helpful to split up the subjective and objective. What we perceive and what we would probably perceive from these people Jesus was talking to by their works, they're saying, we did all these things in your name. And then I would, I would talk to your friends. They, I would refer exactly to your friends, these friends that did all these things, these prayers or worship sessions or whatever it is, these activities in God's name. But in the last day, Jesus will say, be gone from me for I never knew you. So we couldn't have seen their hearts. We couldn't have known their hearts. We couldn't have truly known if God has, had chosen them or not. Um, and really, they were with you, but they weren't of you. Uh, and that would be that would be my Calvinist answer yeah. to that question. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. Okay. <laughs> Austin, we read you at the beginning. Not a full five-pointer. <laughs> What are your thoughts on this? What are, can you give a can you give a breakdown of kind of your opinion on this and kind of your biblical foundations for that? Yeah, I so I kind of describe myself depending on who I'm talking to as like Calvinist plus mm. or something. Oh. As in like like Disney plus. <laughs> just like Disney plus. Sponsored um, by <laughs> Guys. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. Go watch Obi-Wan right now. That's really going to date this podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like I I see all of those verses that clearly point to the ultimate will of God in in affecting our salvation uh, and affecting our our coming to Christ. Uh, and our regeneration and and all of that. But I also see plenty of verses that in scripture that speak to, it's like, like it's our choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's in, um, uh, in first Timothy or something, or maybe I can't remember exactly where it is. I wish I had it in front of me, but of uh, like, we, 
we make our efforts to to persuade others. Yeah. Like we are Amen. we are working to persuade others. Like so persuasion is like, oh wait, I see what you mean by that. I agree that that's true. And now I adopt your favor, your 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 perspective. Mm-hmm. And even Jesus's call to repent and follow me. Like Amen. repent from your sin. It's like we we are we are repenting like the, we are acting in repenting mm-hmm. um so i how how I, while i do hold to and lean on the side of but i am totally depraved and um and very weak in myself and god's will and character and goodness and holiness is so much greater than mine that his will is is 100% ultimate in that decision. If God doesn't choose me, then I never choose God for sure. Um, Like without a doubt. Mm -hmm. I think scripture is so clear on that point. But I, and I haven't, honestly, I have not read Calvin's Institutes for myself. It's not a quick read. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't even read this. (laughs) I haven't read the Spark Notes. I've listened to tons of YouTube videos and podcasts on it. Cool. But, and maybe seen a few quotes. Um, So I don't even know if this is if I'm setting up Calvin as a, as for a, uh, like a straw man argument, mm. but, um, I, I don't see in, Ca- in Calvin's thought that are, are much of like our wills having as much to do with it as the Bible seems to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, like you said at the beginning, like sola scriptura, man, like the Amen. Bible interprets the Bible and, um, and I, I don't want to shy away from, from verses that are, that are tougher, tougher to fit into my um, my theological construct. Amen. Uh, Amen. I think I can't remember exactly who I heard this from. Um, actually, it was my friend Cern Osborne in, in Atlanta. Ooh. He was like, he said, everyone's gonna die with some sort of bad theology. Yeah. And at the end of the day, <laughs> our brains are incapable of comprehens- comprehending the infinity of God, uh, or the in. I don't know how to say that, but infinitude. Um, <laughs> the infinitude. Um, but re- like we are very finite people, um, yeah. and so that's I, a good place to land. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I land. Where I'm like, man, like I really want my perspective of God to be as shaped as much as possible um, by the Word. Amen. And I think um, an important part of that yeah. is that you're not taking responsibility for grace. I think where grace is emphasized. Yeah. God is glorified. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. And I think the verse you're looking for, I don't know if you pulled it up, 2 Corinthians 5.11. Therefore, right. knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Yes. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Mm-hmm. And I don't even see that necessarily contradicting Calvin. Um, but that's why I say plus. I think it right. kind of adds another mysterious nuance yeah. to, to the view of like somehow— our will is a part of it. Like we do choose God in some way, but he chose us. Um, And a little bit more of that would be helpful for Calvinists that I'm sure lots of people have met, the Calvinists that don't work for the Lord, Mm -hmm. the Calvinists that, um, I mean, I have a really beloved um, old married couple. I don't even, old is such a bad word. They're like young, (laughs) like people, but they just are, parents of a friend of mine so I'm like oh you're old <laughs> you're older <laughs> yep, than me I'm so sorry uh, but they they um, are so such good Christians they're, they're working at Disney World and spreading the gospel to everyone that comes through like they're amazing oh. uh, they were part of a church for a long time that was led by a really like good teaching pastor 
And that same teaching pastor was super Calvinist, five points, and was just unkind. Like he just mm-hmm. did not have love. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if we know anything from scripture, if we don't have love or nothing, there's yeah. a clinging symbol. Mm-hmm. And not questioning his salvation, don't know what's going on there, but a little bit more emphasis on like the Bible does talk a lot about human responsibility mm-hmm. and a little bit more of that perspective, Austin would be helpful for Calvinists that might not be bearing fruit of love and bearing fruit of good works. Uh, I mean, Jesus even says like something hard for me is Jesus says like, forgive or you won't be forgiven, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, like the perseverance of the saints, Calvinists, I'm like, Oh, like I'm, I'm there. I I've been saved forever. What if I don't forgive? Wait, is my salvation on the line? Right. Like, so it's just like verses like that are difficult to work through. Um, yeah. So I, I totally I th- get what you're coming from. Th- yeah. And I think um, another verse that I think is maybe um, Arminians go to in coming against the I and the P, so irresistible grace and preservation slash perseverance of the saints is the one you re- you referenced in, in Hebrews 6, kind of backing up a little bit, starting in verse 4. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And I think this verse to me is like, man, it's it it seems like it's more than just, oh, it's impossible for me not to see the glory of Christ and then and and reject him. Mm-hmm. Like this seems to say more so than you, the gospel was preached to you and you rejected it. It seems like, bro, like they, they were, they were experiencing something. They shared they with us in the Holy Spirit. Something tr- tr- true and good. And like, I, I mean, I could see why people would say like, have, who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit. They're like, that sounds like legit salvation. I'm like, that sounds like you could lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. And while I, I, I don't land there, I, I, I see some of that and I'm like, okay, maybe my idea of irresistible grace needs some nuance, but why I end up leaning to irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints is um, just that idea that that the Lord re- regenerates us. He turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh that has the laws. Late, I think literally just in Hebrews 8, it says like he quotes Jeremiah, who's saying, um, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, like we are, like we are changed, so that uh, we, if we us totally depraved people, are presented with Christ, we still won't accept Him until we are changed from within. Um, I think another verse from Jeremiah, it's three verse twenty-two, kind of, it's poetically describing. I I think this is really fresh perspective on it um, for me personally. Um, I think it's kind of describing it's like God's initiation and the, and then our and our response with our regeneration hidden in the middle. It says, "Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithfulness." Then it's responding, "Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God." And to me, that seems to point just describe 
pretty kind of beautifully of like us, of like the Lord saying, I will heal your faithful faithlessness. Mm-hmm. You who are unable to be faithful, I will heal you and make you faithful. Um, and then we say, after he's healed us, we come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are kind of my theological kind of thoughts. Yeah. Just where I'm at, I guess. Yeah. I, I love that Austin. And I, I, I do like that the Lord in his goodness has not only assured us in his word that he, that we are his, mm. but also given us the experience of choosing him. I think he sanctifies us that way. Yeah. And when I don't read the Bible, I feel it like I'm responsible for that. Mm-hmm. It's not like he inhabits me, possesses me. And now I'm just like a Jesus robot and I do everything perfectly. It's, like, praise God for the experience of the Christian life, mm. that we have that, like, returning to the Lord, returning to Him, and having our joy be fulfilled, and also feeling that lack, honestly. Like, it's a blessing that we don't feel the completeness of the new earth yet, mm. because when it comes, it's just going to overflow, and it's just going to be perfect, and it's going to be, like, the perfect ending of every perfect movie ever. <laughs> um, unless anyone else has anything to say, I was going to go through— Arminianism, because we've said it a lot, and we're here at the end of the podcast. Well, not the end, but we're he- we've talked a lot about Calvinism. So mm-hmm. we've said Arminianism a couple times. I was wondering if I could take some time, kind of walk through Please. what they yeah. think. Okay. Stole this directly from gotquestions.org. Love them. They are four-point Calvinists, mm-hmm. kind of what you were talking about earlier, Emerson. They say this in this article, but this is found www.gotquestions.org slash Arminianism. Arminianism.html. Okay, there's the URL. I might even put it in the show notes. Sorry, like source. Good job. <laughs> uh, basically, Arminianism is a system of belief, and I'm literally directly reading from their website, a system of belief that attempts to explain the relationship between God's sovereignty and mankind's free will, especially in relation to salvation. Same as Calvinism. Um, Arminianism is named after Jacobus Arminius, uh, 1560 to 1609, a Dutch theologian. Um, while Calvinism emphasizes the sovereignty of God, Arminianism emphasizes the responsibility of man. So they're both there, but mm-hmm. one emphasizes one and one emphasizes the other. Mm-hmm. If Arminianism is broken down into five points, similar to the five points of Calvinism, these would be the five points. Partial depravity, conditional election, unlimited atonement, resistible grace, and conditional salvation. Go to the website. I'm not going to read them all out. Go to the website, take a look at what those mean. Um, but that's what, excuse me, that's what we're talking about when we mention Arminianism. Arminianism. Mm-hmm. It's also a very difficult word. Calvinism <laughs> is just easier to say. That's yep. the reason you should that's be Calvinist. Should be Calvinist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I, if I could respond just a little bit. Please, to, yeah. I, I actually, especially with man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, um, what I find helpful, especially when I read those passages you mentioned, right? Jesus saying, come follow me, right? This very real call in Matthew 28 to go and evangelize. It's like, well, why? What's the point, right? Like um, the how I respond or how I make sense of the two, right? Because uh, they're all in scripture. There's this real call to be a devoted, righteous man of God and to follow him every single day and to run this race, right? And then at the same time, you're telling me that God is the one doing all this work. What's, what's going on here? What's me and what's God, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's the that's what you were hinging on, right? Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. I think the way I, I make sense of it is to split into two camps what I'm reading, whether, whether it is one, objective truth, which is more the God's sovereignty side, and or two, 
what is subjective reality, right? Subjectively, I don't know who's elect. I have no idea who the elect are. And, but objectively, I know that God uses me as a means to go and call his elect. So that's why there's the calling to go and to evangelize because God sovereignly uses me as a means to go and call his elect to himself. Um, subjectively, I wake up every single day choosing to pursue God and to run after him mm. and to willingly love him uh, through every single trial, through everything that's happening. Objectively, I know it's God doing that in my heart mm. in such a way that he gets all the glory. Um, so that's kind of how I make sense of all these, uh, myself as a Calvinist, make sense of those passages that are very real calls to salvation. Mm. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the day of salvation for you. I will gladly proclaim that yes and amen to that. Yeah. Um, but I will also say yes and amen to God has done that work inside your heart. You love right. because he first loved you. He predestined you since the beginning of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And especially that Hebrews 6 passage um, becomes challenging, but it, it makes sense when we, when we read it from the perspective of a subjective reality, right? Mm -hmm. Subjectively, they were with us. They experienced everything with us. And, you know, I return back to Alex's friend, right? That was, they were at the, they were at the front of the church. They were, they were out there screaming their hearts out. And then they leave the church later on. It's mm -hmm. like, oh man. Subjectively, they did experience the power of God just as much as I did. And yet, objectively, I know yeah. that they were not called um, according to what it speaks about in Romans 8, right? Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. That's that golden chain. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, yeah, so that's kind of how I make sense of the two. Yeah. Uh, and I hope and you I... can bring the two together to have one cohesive argument of scripture, right? That supports one another mutually. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I actually think that's where I land right now. Awesome. Is like, <laughs> is in even how I pray, like something, I'll just pray for um, the Lord's strength and guidance mm -hmm. in something. And I'll go, so whether I'm in, encouraging someone or, and then, and then, or I think of something that I really feel like the Lord is pressing on my heart to, to share with somebody and I share that with them and they're like, man, like that's exactly what I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. Like I I would say, man, like I I I did that. Like I I spoke the words came out of my mouth. And at the same time, it was the Lord really like he was the the epicenter and the source of it all. Like mm -hmm. he was the one who the strength and the words like came from, hopefully. <laughs> um, if it was any good. Mm -hmm. Um and <laughs> Yeah, so I think I'm. I think that's where I'm at with salvation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, what I think is so beautiful about the Lord, and what's so kind about the Lord, is that you can be Arminian and be saved. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I think really? that you, where Arminianism, Arminianism, where grace is emphasized, is glorifying to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that there are a bunch of uh, people that I know in my personal life that um, are Arminian that are not Calvinists that bear fruit and they proclaim Jesus. And um, I believe they're saved. Obviously, I don't know. Just like we've been talking about, there's the seen church, the unseen church. We don't know who's going to be there at the end. Mm -hmm. But your kind of theological understanding of the grace of God and how it's dispensed does not change if the Lord has predestined you. You know, because just going back to what I said earlier about Ephesians 1, God has predestined those who will be with him. Mm -hmm. And all of these kind of discussions, they, they're fun. They bring a lot of comfort mm -hmm. to me, um, a lot of comfort in knowing that God has chosen me 
and that he um, has predestined me according to him and his choice alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can be a believer without being a Calvinist. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and God. so um, I did just want to, you know, to bring it full circle back to what we said at the very beginning, let this not divide the church. Mm-hmm. Let this not um, stir up any angst. Don't, hey, Calvinists, if you're listening and you're about to send this, uh, to an Arminian friend of yours as a slam dunk. Don't <laughs> oh, do no. that. Please take a moment, you know, and just pray about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> if it's check your heart, you know, if this is for, uh, you know, if this is for the right reasons, if sharing this podcast is, you know, you're doing it for the right reasons for knowing God, for knowing more about scripture, for knowing, trying to determine how he works and who he is, share it all you like. Just don't slam dunk on people that don't agree with you Mm -hmm. Um, because that's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to encounter and love and have compassion and to, again, like you said, Emerson, he died for the unity of the church. And if there are any prideful Calvinists out there, just know that uh, your belief system is that you had nothing to do with your salvation. So (laughs) kind of roll roll back around by that. (laughs) And if I could add like my my last two cents um, that, Maybe more like one cent, but um, <laughs> just on it, like to be totally honest, one of the main deterrents from me calling myself a Calvinist to, to every Christian I meet is like a lot, several of the, the just the camps that we call a cage stage yeah. Calvinist, yeah. you know, who, term. oh, yeah. yeah. It's that look it up on God Questions. Um, and <laughs> uh, just basically where, uh, people are kind of dogmatic about their Calvinistic like, mm. perspective yeah. and and not gentle and not uh, displaying the, the fruits of the Spirit or yeah. the character of Christ mm-hmm. as they discuss those these things. Um, and and all of that said, I don't, I don't think the doctrine of predestination needs to be talked about like that or even talked about in a solely intellectual, the- theological way. I think mm. I th- hopefully it's come out in the way that we've talked about this, which— uh, I mean, I've heard, but it's it's a beautiful doctrine from Scripture. Mm-hmm. And if you read just Ephesians 1, verse uh, one? 4, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, um, in it's 4 going into 5. It says, in love, he yeah. predestined us for adoption mm-hmm. to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Um, Amen. And before that, it says that he, he chose us before the, the foundation of the world. And that is is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like he is a father and we are children who mm-hmm. he saw us from totally eternity past. And he said, I want them. Yeah, I want them to be mine and I'm not going to stop at anything until they're mine. I'm going to give myself up totally for them. I'm going to spill my blood. I'm going to sp- give all of me for, for all of them. Mm-hmm. And to use an, another biblical theme is like he he is a husband that truly pursued his bride. Mm-hmm. That that's who Jesus is, mm-hmm. and I I really received that so much. I'm like Jesus, like Lord, you you loved me back then. You saw me back then. You saw me when I was totally depraved, and just I yeah I had nothing I had nothing to offer you. I I had no way to to return the favor or to you know, have equal exchange mm-hmm. of relationship. Um, he he chose me and gave himself up for me, and I think that's just beautiful. Yeah. Amen. And as an exhortation for those listening, as we wrap up here, um, something Paul Washer. I keep on referencing Paul oh. Washer. Um, something Paul Washer said is he is a five point Calvinist, but he says he doesn't like tout it. He doesn't run around yelling about it. 
because the effect is the same. He preaches the gospel and people come to faith. And he's like, yeah. I don't care, mm-hmm. like, really. How, like, of course I care about God. I want to know how he works. But my job is the same. My job is to preach the gospel and then people come and people are raised from the dead. And I'm like, yes, Paul Washer. <laughs> yeah. uh, and a couple of verses for that, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so faith comes from, like, think about if you're a Christian, how did you come to faith? You came from either reading or hearing the word of God spoken to you and knowing that you're a sinner and knowing that someone died for you to save you. That's how you came to faith. Praise the Lord. Um, and then John 8, 47, uh, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Um, that's Jesus talking to his <laughs> to the to his haters uh, saying like the reason you don't listen to me is because you're not of me and you don't you you aren't mine so you won't hear me mm-hmm. so those verses work together in that whether you're Calvinist or Arminian there are those that are predestined out there in the world that when they hear the word of God they will receive it with faith praise the Lord yes sheep and know it, his voice that's Amen. right Amen. and it doesn't matter really like what camp you fall into, but our job is the same. Our job is to preach the gospel, to spread the word, and those who are his will come. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, anyway, yeah, that's it. I uh, Just for you guys listening, I bought two Costco pepperoni pizzas that are oh, waiting for yeah. us in the other room. Yes, Predestined. So we're gonna... <laughs> Predestined for my belly. <laughs> so we're going to zip out. We're going to eat that stuff, but appreciate you guys for listening. You guys are the best. Um, see you guys next time. See ya. Welcome to the outro, ladies and gentlemen. Feel free to exit the episode, but if you want to hear me talk a little bit longer, stick around. Big thanks to Emerson and Austin for hanging out for their collaboration and insights. Loved having them here. Hope you guys did too. Check the show notes for where to connect with them and the show at large. Give us a review, but only if you feel like it. All that good stuff. Now, put down this podcast. Chase the Lord get your priorities straight. Uh, Find the truth that God has given us through his word. Um, I really hope this podcast was a part of God's way of showing you himself. I love you all. Only glory to God on high. We will see you guys next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks.